Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip-and-zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. And today, we are going to be talking about hunting gear and equipment. I know, shocking, right? But what this is... Uh, first off, I'm going to say that I, uh, Aaron Blisey of the Fall Podcast, has been a regular guest on the Nine Finger Chronicles for, oh, I want to say the last six or seven weeks now. And so this episode that I've done, I'm calling it the Fall Sessions. Uh, this is going to be, this was like the fifth one that we've done, but it's about gear, hunting gear and equipment. So I just wanted to put this one on the hunting gear podcast feed as well. Let everybody listen to it just because it's gear related. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. I'm going to recommend going to the nine finger Chronicles feed and listening to all of the nine finger Chronicles podcasts, period, all of them. No, but the ones that I've done with Aaron, uh, really fun, really exciting. I had a blast recording these episodes and so, I just wanted to share it with you guys today. Uh, before we kick off this episode, though, I want to remind everybody that this podcast is brought to you by HuntStand. If uh, you guys are in the market for a hunting app, you got to check out HuntStand. So first off, go to HuntStand.com, read up on all the functionality, read up on things like uh, digital imagery and how, how much they update it. It's like a month, every month they update brand new satellite imagery. Uh, you know, it has all the standard functions like landowners, property boundaries, public private land lines, things like that. But then they have recently introduced something called a pro whitetail platform. And if you're a serious bow hunter who likes to hunt, or just a serious hunter who likes to hunt the rut, uh, this is definitely a uh, the upgrade for you and it costs a little bit more but it's still very affordable so go check out huntstand.com it's that time of year man where we got to start putting a plan in place start thinking about our tree stand locations what the wind's going to do in those scenarios and uh, i love hopping on huntstand and figuring that out so uh, huntstand.com uh, that's it for today we got a new partner joining us in july the first of july so uh, be aware of that and outside of that, man, uh, let's, uh, let's have a good rest of your day. Have a good rest of your week. Have a good weekend, month, year, life. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Three, two, one. All right. This is the fifth installment of the fall sessions right here on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And I'm back with Aaron, the host of the fall podcast. That's why we're calling it the fall <laughs> sessions. So, um, how you been, dude? Good, man. Good. Uh, good long weekend. Um, went to the lake, had some fun, went to a, 
niece's birthday party and now here we are it's tack week here in michigan so total total archery challenge you know as we're recording this is going to happen in two days so i'll be heading up north for that and uh it's gonna be a lot of fun man awesome all right um you love baseball right i do yeah actually let me back up i've never been to a tack event what's it like is it is it worth going to at least one in your life 100 percent. i've been um three or four now i think um but it, it's it's a lot of fun as far as like every year it gets bigger i feel like and i've only been to the michigan one but yeah there's so many like-minded people and the cool thing about it is you don't even have to go shoot like there's a whole bunch of vendors there so you can go walk around their vendors and and just kind of you know talk to whoever might be there exodus yeah. might be there or latitude or hoyt or yeah. whoever you know yeah. um and you can a lot of those people are running show specials too so you can buy stuff there but i'll tell you what even if you want to go and just uh, register and shoot like the practice mm-hmm. range and stuff like that it's a lot of fun i will say you know i've done i think i've done three now i will say it's like the nostalgia just kind of wore off for me. Like going up there this weekend, I, I work for latitude. So I'll yeah. be working the booth. Like I really don't care if I shoot or not. Like, yeah. it's just, it's not something I'm like, Oh, I gotta go do it. Like yeah. for me, I've been there. I've, I've shot the courses. Now I'm like, ah, I just kind of want to go and, and hang out with the people. You know what I mean? And right. just kind of and talk. So right. right. that's where I'm at. Yeah. I've, I've put some thought into going to one, one of the closer ones here. And uh, I think the closest one is either in, man, it's going to be, I think the Michigan one is probably one of the closest ones for me. Really? Yeah. I don't even know where they have their events these days, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it it seems like fun, but I'll be honest. If someone said to me, Hey, all expense paid to a attack event, I would probably just go to watch and hang because I, my bow needs a new string and I am not, I haven't even, I'm not even close to getting it set up. So I need to take <laughs> it into the shop, get a new string put on it and then start shooting again. So. For sure. I, it's one thing that I think everybody should do at least once yeah. and then just kind of, you know, if you want to do more than do more, but it, it is a good event. It is really cool. And and like I said, up in Michigan, there's going to be other podcasters there, but there's going to be a lot of like, you know, I'm in Michigan. So that's where my core listener group mm-hmm. is. So that's what a lot of people like to, to hang out, come by the booth and talk and, you know, kind of meet us and, and get to know us. And then I'm going to be doing some podcasts up there too. So I also look at it as like a way to get content done, you yep. know, and maybe get four or five podcasts in the, in the bank. So yep. I look at, for, I look at it that way now. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So now baseball. All right. Yeah. Um, our little league team, man, we got in the last week, we played a game, I believe, on Wednesday. Then we had, no, no, yeah, a game on Wednesday. Then we had a tournament where we played three games. Uh, uh, so that's four games in like a four day, four or five day period. And so what's cool is that our team is starting to come out of its shell, um, some of the kids anyway. And so like my son is one of them. He was, he was, uh, not doing very well right at the beginning, but now he's comfortable in the batter's box. And so now he's starting to hit, uh, same thing. We had one kid who's like, I feel if any kid's going to put one over the fence this year as an eight year old, it's going to be, it's going to be this kid. 
And so um, he's starting to swing the bat, and he's feeling comfortable in the in the box. And so we had um, – have you ever seen the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt? Oh, yeah. Yep. Love it. And so that whole entire movie is based off of sabermetrics, the, um, you know, the statistical – you know, um, long story short, if you haven't seen the movie – what what um, sabermetrics is is a guy came up and he's putting together a baseball team based off of nothing but statistics, not hey how's this guy look, you know how hard of a worker is he? It's, it's has nothing to do with like a gut feeling. It's all a hundred percent based off of statistics, and so um, you know I I'm, I hope nobody who is on the team listens to this, but our top three batters in the order were, were number one and number two in strikeouts. And so I looked up how to calculate and how to make a batting order based off of Sabre metrics. And, and so now hopefully coming out of this tournament, the next tournament, uh, and this is not up to me, it's up to the coach. I I'm an assistant. So I put it together and hopefully we can get some of our better kids, uh, better hitters uh, and kids with better on base percentage higher up in the, because our, I think our eighth batter has like a 685 on base percentage. So he's either hitting or he's getting walked and he, he has like a four something batting average right now. And so, uh, but he was eight. I'm like, we want this kid to, to be on base as much as humanly possible or to be at bat as much yeah. as humanly possible. So, um, so our team played really well this weekend. Uh, we had an example where the kid, the kid with the most strikeouts was the last batter of the game with people in running position. And so it didn't work out, but we played awesome. Uh, this, this weekend, we, we lost to some really good teams. We beat a, a, a an okay team. And so, uh, anyway, baseball, I'm, I'm starting to fall back in love with baseball and just like the statistics of it. Like I, I love looking mm-hmm. at batting average and digging into how'd this guy get on base or how did, how, what's his yep. slugging percentage and things like that. No, I agree. And that's, that's why I love baseball. Like, you, you know, we're big Detroit Tigers fans. So like when we go to a game, I'm the guy that still to this day, I'll have, I'll buy a, uh, the book, you yep. know, that you can keep the score and everything. And I write the scores in and all that in the games. And, um, you know, to kind of go back to your point about like, you have a kid lower in the batting average. Now this is not going to like really mean much when they're that young, but when you start getting into like varsity baseball mm-hmm. in, in, in high school, then into college, you know, typically hitters later in the lineup are going to see more fastballs. Yeah. Um, so like you might have a kid that might be hitting seven, eight or nine, that has a really good on-base percentage or average because typically they're going to see more fastballs lower in the lineup. And then also you can hide kids. You can hide guys behind hitters. You know what I mean? And typically the rule of thumb is your third hitter is your best hitter on your team. Typically, you know? Um, So it's that whole side of things is really cool. And then for me watching a game, like I love, 
dissecting counts like this guy's like when i watch a game on tv it's like it's a you know one and two count like what what's this pitcher gonna throw yeah. you know what would i throw where would i and i like to try to validate my thought process and what that pitcher does yep. so i i just love baseball man oh, it yeah. makes you think constantly yeah and that's what i love about it and these kids they get so worked up they get so worked oh, up yeah. when they strike out um or they you know they make an error or something like that and it's yeah. strikeouts mostly but you know, we you got a kid that's batting 500. No, actually, he's batting like uh, 790 this year on our team. So he's almost automatic. Wow. He's almost automatic, and he'll cry when I'm like. And so we are we we go with the dude. You would be in the Hall of Fame if you had. You would hold all the records if you had this batting average in the major leagues mm -hmm. and hopefully that motivates him or at least tells him to stop crying. I, yeah. I, I didn't realize until this year coaching kids that it is necessary as a baseball player to have a very short memory and be able to get over whatever problem you just had so that the next pitch you're back on point. Yep. A hundred percent. And like, you know, the whole adage and the whole saying goes, is like, you know, in baseball, you can fail 70% of the time and you, you'll probably be a Hall of Famer. Exactly. You know, anybody that hits around 300 as a career. I mean, I was looking at stats the other night just because I was going down a rabbit hole, but Tony Gwynn. Mm -hmm. Tony Gwynn is arguably one of the best hitters to ever play Period. the game. Yeah. His career batting average was like 333, like yeah. something like that, career. And I'm yeah. like, that is ridiculous. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's him almost failing 70% of the time. Yeah. And he's the, you know, considered the best hitter ever. Yeah. And he's got, what, what's he's got like 4,000 hits or something like that. 4, I don't think plus. he's, uh, I don't know if he's got four. He's got at least 3,000. I yeah. think, I, I don't know what he has for total hits. Yeah. yeah. Stud. I, but in the whitetail world, if you throw, if you say I'm only going to be successful, well, for me being successful, 33, percent of the time would mean that I only shoot three bucks every 10 years. And to me, that's not good. Like no, that's not good, nope. but based off of tag filling statistics, that's a, like, I, I think what's the success rate for some of these elk draws out or for some of these uh, elk and deer hunts across the nation, it's like 10%, like success rate yeah. on, on some of these yeah. tag filling. Some of these tags is 10%. So yeah, something like that. If you compare it to that, then I then you then you're doing pretty good. Yeah. So right here, I'm looking at Tony Gwynn's stats. He was a 3.38 career hitter. He had 3,141 hits. So for anybody that's not a baseball person, if you can reach 3,000 hits in the major leagues, that is like astronomical. Not yeah. everybody does that. There's mm -hmm. a fraction of people that do that. So who who's uh who's above him? Do you have that in front of you? I'm going to say Pete Rose is probably He's number one. above him. Yeah. Um, let me look. Of course, for those who are listening, we are going on a huge, uh, down a huge rabbit hole right now that has nothing yeah. to do with whitetails. <laughs> uh, actually, so there's a lot of people, or no, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's a, quite a few people ahead of him. So Pete Rose has 4,250. Six hits. He's got the most. Then Ty Cobb, 41, 4,189. Hank Aaron, Stan Musial, uh, Trish Speaker, Derek Jeter's got 3,400. 
Honus Wagner, Carl Yuskrimski, Albert Pujols, Paul Molander. You know, you got. They're all over 3,000. Yes. Okay. So where the line stops is Roberto Clemente had 3,000. He was number 33 on the list. And uh, Tony Gwynn's number 21. So, I mean, Pete Rose arguably is probably the best hitter, but obviously there's an asterisk by his name because of his gambling stuff. But, I mean, God. 4,256 hits, Dan. That's ridiculous. Man, and, and that's, I mean, let the dude in the Hall of Fame, man. I mean, uh, he didn't gamble. He didn't throw any games. He gambled on his own team. Yeah. So, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> you have you have some information about deer teeth and uh, aging, aging deer. I want to hear this story. This is hot off the press. Dan. Okay, I mean, literally, I just got this right before we get on this call, and so, you know that like aging deer is always you know in in the in the world of whitetails, mm-hmm. like aging deer, I feel like is like way up there. Yep. You know, like, and I I fall in this bucket too as far as, you know, people like, oh, that was a mature buck. Mm-hmm. That he he's got, he's four years old, five years old, mm-hmm. six years old. I'm here to tell you, and this might be a hot take, and I don't think, unless you have pictures of you a deer that has a notch in his ear or whatnot, I don't think anybody has an idea of what age is unless you ha- unless you literally watch that deer grow up mm-hmm. with with some sort of marking. Mm-hmm. And the reason being, okay, so I just I sent three sets of teeth into deer age okay and i just got them back now i shot in 2021 i shot a deer in illinois and i'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some weights because I, I have all the weights and everything on these deer so okay. um this deer weighed let me look at this real quick he weighed 200 250 pounds on the hook okay we're talking about central illinois deer he scored 145. He grossed at 145. He was a 10 point, great looking deer. Um, but it, you know, when you look at him, it's like what I thought he was a four year old. For sure, thought he was a four year old. Comes back a three and a half. Okay, and I'm like right there. Like he is in those three and a half to four and a half year old deer are very hard to like. Like that's the line for mm-hmm. me to be like, man, he could be three, he could be four or whatnot. I thought he was four you know, with, with all of his, you know, features and everything. And he weighed 250 pounds. It's a big deer and everything. I'm like, Oh, he came back at three and a half. So that was one thing. Uh, the next one, Ohio, I shot one in 2021, Ohio. He was a, he scored 170 as a typical 10. Okay. As uh growth scored and he weighed 240 pounds on the hoof. He was 11 point. He had some great mass, um, big deer came back at four and a half. Okay. And I'm like, man, I figured he was four, thought he might be five, but I figured he was at least going to be four. So that one really didn't surprise me too. But so the one that surprised me was this one. Last year, I shot a buck in Michigan. He scored 132 grossed, but he had two broken brows. Mm -hmm. And I figured if you, I figured he'd be a low 140s deer because you could tell they were completely broken. So this deer weighed 220 pounds on the hoof. Gross scored 132 as is. 
this deer was a big deer. Mm -hmm. This deer's got great mass. And I try not to look at the antlers and the mass and stuff like that and try to discern an age from that. It's just, I try to look at their chest, their body, all that stuff. This deer is one of the bigger deer that I've seen in this area, body-wise and everything, and especially antler-wise. And he came back at three and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was a little, I was a little, uh, little ups, not upset, mm-hmm. but I was like, man, that told me right there that like, we just don't know. We do not know because you see, I'm, I'm telling you, Dan, if you would have saw this deer in a bean field or in a field of hunting in Michigan or whatever, you'd be like, gotta be a four-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, like it looks like a four-year-old. He just, he, he just did. Yeah. And he's three and a half. And I'm like, you know, I hear a lot of guys saying, you know, especially Michigan guys saying like, they think that there's more four-year-olds than we actually think. I think you're wrong mm-hmm. in my area. I, I literally, you could have put a gun to my head and be like, this deer four, Yeah, you know? Um, so I was a little, little, little upset about that. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. it's like, you work so hard and you're trying to kill. And he was a top 10% of the bucks that I have an opportunity at, but I'm like, what do I got to do to get a four year old? Yeah, You know what I mean? Um, yeah. yeah. I just don't think they're, I just don't think they're as prevalent around here as people think. So I have in my office here i have uh who's that artist what's his name uh ryan, ryan kirby. kirby yep i have the you might you might have it too the poster of a one and a half year old next to a two-year-old and it then it kind of breaks down all their characteristics right of yep. and i think he got some of that stuff from the the nda okay so i'm looking at i'm looking at it and there is very little, there's very little difference between a three-year-old and a four-year-old from, mm-hmm. from just body size, right? Now, you, you, take, you take it even a step further into a five-year-old category, and I'm just basing this right off the, the artwork here. Maybe there's a little bit more sway in the back. Maybe the gut yep. is a little bigger. But then again, I've seen... I've seen a hundred, and I'm assuming he's a five or a six year old, huge body, no antlers, right? A 120, 125 inch uh, 10 pointer, right? And so, just like humans, there's so many different variables into how big they get based off of their diet. You know, um, if you're going to base it strictly off teeth wear, what about uh, a deer that eats a ton of grass and clover and not necessarily acorns or, or you know, corn, shell corn? Mm-hmm. And so, so if you have uh, just a softer uh, food that these deer are eating throughout the entire year, their teeth aren't going to wear as much. If you got a deer who he only eats corn and he only eats acorns throughout the year and he, you know, he's heavy into that then his teeth are going to be way more worn down than mm-hmm. let's say uh, uh, a deer that only eats grass or, you know, cause they have favorites, you know, they, they're going to go to what, what's plentiful at that year. And in States like, uh, let's just say South Dakota, Nebraska on the Western side of the Missouri river, they, those deer are eating a lot of grass. And so yeah. their body size will never be as big as a, a as a, a deer here in the Midwest that has 
all that starch corn and things like that. So there's so many, there's so many variables that, and, and to top it all off genetics. And like I told you on the shipwreck episode on your podcast, shipwreck was a eight, nine, you know, he was, he was eight, nine, 10 years old when he, he was 10 years old when he was shot. And I have documentation of almost every single year. And Sam Calora, the guy who shot him, he is a deer breeder, so he knows about deer. He says he's probably a 10-year-old buck, okay? He weighed, I want to say, between 200 and 225 pounds, okay? And so genetically, he was a small-bodied deer. And if you would have taken the rack off of him and put it, it put a 120-inch rack on him, this deer is now not getting looked at at all because it just he has a small body. He had some characteristics of an older deer, but just in a smaller package. And so, yeah, unless I agree with you 100%, like even me, I say, oh, the deer downstairs are four years old, or this one's a two-year-old, or this one's a five- or six-year-old. Nobody really knows. I mean, nope. I don't have trail camera pictures of multiple years of, of, you know, like three or four years of all those deer. So it's a guess. And that's what everybody's doing is they're, they're taking their best guess. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And it's, you know, that deer I was talking about the Michigan deer, I should grab them real quick. I got them right here, but, um, a buddy of mine hunts a, a farm close to where I shot him and actually found that deer's shed, uh, the year before I killed him. Mm -hmm. And I, he gave me the shed and the shed to me screams a three-year-old mm -hmm. like just by the antlers mm -hmm. okay now i and i just told you a little bit ago i try not to look at the antlers and and judge a deer off age on that but when you look at like a three-year-old what people say they're three-year-olds and i look at that shed i'm like man that's a three-year-old yeah. and then i look at his antlers now as they're sitting there i'm like hey he's a four-year-old like yeah. you know as as a skull captain I'm like he's got great mass and so it was a little, a little upsetting but it was also to the point where i'm just like it just reiterates the fact that, like it doesn't matter the size of the antlers. You just don't know. You don't know. Like, you, you, you don't know unless you've seen that deer grow up, mm -hmm. you know? Yep, absolutely. So. Um, I'm looking at a pair of sheds right now in my office that I found, like, in 2009, eight or nine, so a long time ago. And I'm telling you, the pedicles on that thing are the size of maybe a quarter or, a, like, somewhere in between a, a, a nickel and a quarter, Okay. And I would say it's a, there's no brows on them, just little bumps for brows. But we're looking at a 115 inch, I guess it would be an eight, because they're just little bumps for brows. But with the pedicles that are very tiny. And so I look at that and I go, that deer genetically is gifted because that's the pedicle size is like a, a one-year-old or a two-year-old. So mm -hmm. potentially the first set of antlers that this buck ever grew was 115 inches 110 inches it's nuts yeah and that, that so that'll be that'll be another thing the first buck i shot this year girl scored at 111 mm -hmm. and he's got like a seven inch like double main beam okay so um you know not really massive not, i honestly think he's probably a two-year-old i had a little ground shrinkage when i grew when i walked up to him i thought he was 
a year older, bigger than I thought, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I was happy with the deer. I'd shoot the deer again, honestly, but I'm going to send his teeth in and I'm going to be really interested to see if he comes back at a year and a half, Mm -hmm. because if he does, that means the same thing as like that deer's first rack, he's mid teens and grew a double main beam. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I got to imagine he's going to be at least a two-year-old, but I could be completely wrong. That deer could be three, Yeah. you know? Um, and if that's the case, geez, I, I, I have no clue how age deer. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things where I, I, I always say I'm going for a four-year-old, but mm-hmm. when you, when you really boil it down and break it down, like, I'm going for a deer that at that exact moment looks good enough for me to shoot. And that has to do with body size and antler size. It's not a hundred percent based off of uh, body. So, uh, you know, even I'm, I guess I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. Yeah. I think we all are. And, and, you know, how many times do you, uh, after a sit, you talk to a buddy, it's like, man, I saw he's a big deer, man. He's probably four year old. And I'm like, Really, you got to check yourself. Like, yeah. is he though? <laughs> like, yeah. Is he? And one thing, here's another uh, interesting thing. So you see a doe group come out and they just look really lean. And they, they you know, some, even a mature doe doesn't carry the body weight like uh, any buck will. You take mm-hmm. a, a, what I'm going to guess is a mature doe. They come through and a, a spike, a yearling or a two-year-old comes through. They're bigger already than a than the oldest mature doe. They're already yeah. bigger, so they stand next to side, and it gives you a little perspective. And and just to say, geez, man, it's so hard to tell what you know what's accurate. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. by the way, I had a buddy during shotgun season one year. They did a deer drive, and he shot a spike, and it weighed two two fifty or two seventy. A spike. Spike buck, yearling, two-year-old wow. or something like that. Gigantic <laughs> body. Wow. It was nuts. Yeah. I, the day, the days of 200-pound deer, like for Michigan, I'm going to speak Michigan. Yeah. Like back in the day when we when you'd get a, uh, somebody killed a 200-pound deer, like on the hoof, it's like, wow. Yeah. That's a big deer. Now, dude, I, I, I would have to, like I weigh all my deer. I would have to say in the last four or five years, the deer I've killed in Michigan have all been over 200 pounds and respectively like 250 you know Mm -hmm. um it's just it's just the way it is now so i will say this in 2012 i think that if i had to if i had to guess what the outcomes would be based off of me sending things in i'm guessing the deer i shot in 2012 is going to potentially potentially be 2012 or 2018, but I think it, it's going to be 2012. That deer had, I was at the time probably 240, 240 pounds, and I'm sitting behind this thing and just took two guys to dr- the amount of time it took to, and I never officially weighed it, but I, 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 I'm confident that deer was over 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so to this day, that deer was the biggest bodied animal that I'd, I'd ever, I'd ever shot. And that like 300 pounds is huge. It, it made That's me look giant. small in the picture. So giant. Yeah. And I shot him in the nostril and the arrow went down his throat and 
<laughs> I don't know if you ever saw that video, but it went down the throat and a blade op- just opened up his neck and it hit its carotid and he just was, or his jugular, and it just, it was over in like 60. Oh it was, it was like murder scene. It was gnarly. Wow. It was gnarly. And that was that chest shot that we talked about in the last episode, yep. but he followed, he saw my bottom <laughs> stick, he followed it up and right as I release the arrow pulled the trigger on the release he dropped but his head stayed up looking at me and so instead of hitting him in the chest i hit him in his nose but his head was up so he he basically swallowed the arrow it was it was insane and (laughs) uh, you know i don't want to brag about bad shots but i mean he died he died really quickly oh you hit that artery they're gonna they're gonna die quick his his uh artery his throat his like so everything just tore tore him up and uh, he didn't last too long so um all right anything else about the the age of those deer before we move on no man i I, that's all i really wanted to share all right perfect that was interesting now the remainder of this you know we've been bsing here for 30 minutes and and it's kind of good that we did because i don't see the rest of this conversation lasting too terribly long but hell it could because we're kind of gear nerds ourselves. Mm-hmm. We've we've talked about. Let's see. Let's kind of recover what we uh, cover what we've talked about. We've talked about um, terrain, how deer move through terrain. Yep. Uh, we've talked about mature deer. Mature deer. Like, yep. Yep. And and mature deer behavior. Yep. Moment of truth. Moment of truth. Okay. And a whole bunch of other things that revolve around how deer use terrain. Uh, how mature deer are different from young deer and then the moment of truth. And, and and now, so we're in the moment of truth, right? And for me, and I'm, I'm guessing you're going to agree that the moment of truth becomes less of an issue when you're confident in your equipment. I know, I know it does for me. I'm not, if I'm not thinking the best quote I ever heard from someone was if you're not thinking about your gear when you're out hunting, your you have the right gear. For example, when I go out west, I know my boots are great and working the way I want them to because I'm not thinking about my feet and I'm not thinking about my boots. I'm just going. And so yep. let me let me ask you kind of a question when it comes to your gear, how do you make your decisions on on what to purchase? Well, this Honestly, this happened um, by a lot of trial and error mm-hmm. and a lot of following, thinking I needed to follow trends back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. Like the trend thing really got, the trend bug really hit me around 2010, 11, 12, 13 in those areas. Dude, I was buying a new bow in like middle of October, November mm-hmm. and putting new, a new rest on it, new arrows, new broadheads, new, because I saw someone else doing it. Yeah. And that couldn't have been like, it was the worst thing to do, you know? So, um, and I struggled like 2011, 12 or 10 and 11, I struggled mightily just because I didn't have confidence in yeah. my gear. Yeah. And honestly, now that I've gotten a little more mature and everything. And when I'm going into something or thinking about something like I, there's a lot of things I take into consideration, but the one thing is how, how do I have to, or how can I use this piece of gear and not have to worry about it is my first and first 
first thing, like, you know, I switched to fixed blade broadheads two years ago. I don't want to have to worry about it. I want to be able to put it on there and it's going to perform. Yep. And that's what it does. Yep. You know, um, the other thing is like, I've went as far as, you know, I use a QAD uh, rest. Okay. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, me included, I used to tie the cord just right on the cable. Mm -hmm. Now I use the clamp and everybody's like, why do you use the clamp? That thing looks so stupid and everything. And I'm like, well, when you really think about it, it's really functional and I can fix it in the field if I need to. Yep. And, you know, instead of having a press to be able to spread your string and put a little loop through there and tie it, why not use the clamp? Yep. You know what I mean? So it's little things like that. Um, like right now I'm trying to buy a, I'm trying to find a quiver, the right quiver for the side of my bow. And it's like, I, I've been thinking about this for three weeks. What mm -hmm. one do I want to get? Because it's got to, it's got to have some functionality, but it's also got to be able to do what I need it to do. Yeah. Um, so when I'm, when I'm purchasing things, it's got to be perform where I don't have to think about it, man. And it's, I just know it's going to be there. It's like a point guard and a shooting guard. Yep. You know, they're going to be there even if you don't see them. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've talked about this, but just like <laughs> falling for the marketing. I was that guy too, man. I was like, Oh, did you see this new bow? I, it, it says it's great. I got to do it. Oh, I need Sitka. Oh, look at everybody's got Sitka. I need Sitka. Oh, look at everybody's got first light. I need, I need, dude, I need some first light or I need this yeah. and I need or whatever. And you enter popular brand and I was the kind of guy, except for broadheads, really, except for broadheads, you enter in the name of the brand. And like, I remember when uh, Elite first came out and how their bows were supposed to be so different and awesome and things like that. And I started shooting them and, and, yeah, they were good, but I, I really wasn't making the, the decisions on what I was shooting or my equipment based off of my personal needs. I was doing it because other people were, uh, were saying how awesome it was. And mm -hmm. so I, it, it, it took me a handful of years. I would say somewhere around the 2006, 17, 18 timeframe is when I started to just kind of step away and go, what works best for you? And that's when I started really focusing on like my arrow setup and where I was hunting, how I was hunting. Um, like, like I, I personally am not a huge, like I like camo. Don't get me wrong. I think there's certain, you know, camo works great in certain situations, but I am more interested in what the gear will do for me as far as make me comfortable and keep me uh, comfortable in the woods, not necessarily what the pattern is doing. I just, I, I honestly don't think uh, a camo plays as big as a, a role to us as we think it does. I agree. And, you know, I'm a Sika wearer yeah. and I want, and I want to kind of go down this road too, because Sika is, you know, it's the Lululemon of the hunting community, probably, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which, you know, for me, for Sika, I have Oh, by the way, much. by the way, that is like not the toughest comparison, right? If you want to be like, no, yeah, the, what's tough? Uh, well, you're the Lululemon of hunting equipment. Yeah, like... Well, it, 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 really, it probably is, you know, because how priced it is. And, right. And, and I won't It's wear quality. Any... It's quality. It, it's, that's the thing. Yeah. And I, I, the kind of, I guess the point I'm looking or getting across is, you know, 
I don't wear it because X guy wears it. Yeah. I wear it because there's a couple things in my buying process. When I go to Sika's website, I can filter and say whitetail and it tells me what I need to buy. Yep. I'm the type of guy that I'll do research, but I want to know from the people that are building this, what is going to work best for me? Mm-hmm. Get me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, so I like that whole process, but also they have, they have, um, what you call it? Like, uh, they have kits basically. They yep. have a, they have a big game kit. They have a Turkey kit. They have a whitetail kit and you know, it is marketing and everything, but I'm like, I can go in that whitetail section and be like, yeah, it's a good starting point. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. And honestly, Dan, it fits like a hug. Mm-hmm. Like I love, and anything that's going to keep me in the tree longer. Yeah. I, and I'm sure first light's the same way. I'm yeah. sure Kuyu is the same way. I'm sure whatever else is the same way. Just get with, with what you want and stop bitching. If somebody uses sick or first light or something like, or whatever, yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I really don't want to go down the the camo rabbit hole because it just it just becomes talking in circles right yeah uh and and just clothing in general because i hated the marketing so i decided to uh branch out and start going in different directions and so um like i like how huntworth has uh, has some solid options and so i'll be working with uh Huntworth and it's more affordable. Uh, and I think the quote some guy used the other day was it is 70% of 70 or 80% of Sitka as far as quality, but half the price. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that's working man type numbers. You know what I mean? And, and, um, I'll be work. I I, I like the, the fact that they have solid options and, and so I'll be working with them a little bit this year. But anyway, that that's beside the point. I think a lot of it has to do with what you're comfortable in. And there's a whole yeah. bunch out there. Last handful of years, I've just been wearing like Dickies or or mm-hmm. Carhartt pants because I go through thorns and beggar's lice and cockaburs, and that just doesn't stick to that, like the fleece. Like I have a pair of Sitka fleece uh pants that I don't wear anymore because beggar's lice is so thick on it. Mm-hmm. So I bet. Yeah. Now we've talked about mature deer, right? We talked about big bodied deer. And so I want to talk a little bit about, well, I, I kind of want to focus on bow setup, arrow setup, rest site, and, and really end like, because we could talk about boots, that's preference. We could talk about tree stands and saddles, that's preference. We could talk about ground blinds, that's preference. But there's a lot more science and numbers behind draw length and arrow weight and, and, and things that are technical that we could talk yeah. about with that, those kind of things. So when it comes to your bow, your arrow setup, maybe even some of your accessories, how are you picking that type of gear? Uh, same thing, man, as, as far as like the functionality, obviously has got to be there. It's got to feel good. Archery and, and to me, archery is all feel. Yes. It is, it is, you know, when we were at ATA this last year, we were walking around and, uh, what I mean by we, David and I, and, and we picked up the Bowtech and right when I picked it up, 
because I've heard a buddy who was like, man, I shot this thing before we went to ATA. He's like, you should shoot this thing. It's really good. Their carbon one? Yes. Yeah, okay. I picked it up immediately right off the shelf, and I looked at David, and you can ask him this. I put it right back down. I said, don't like it. Yep. I could already tell in the grip that I would not like that bow. I didn't have to shoot it. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's all feel. Mm-hmm. From A to Z, it's got to feel good for me. Right. Um, I shot Matthews for years. I've shot PSC in the past. I've shot Baratry in the past. Now I'm on to a prime mm-hmm. and prime. I shot their bow at ATA and now like, so y- yesterday I was out shooting in the yard before tech and I was shooting at uh, 89 yards and I text David after I was done. And I'm like, man, I've never had a bow uh, hold at long distances. Like I have this set up with mm-hmm. my stabilizer set up and just how, and how it holds mm-hmm. I, I it is it holds so well and it the draw cycle on it's so good so archery for, for me is is all about feel if if i can pick it up before i even shoot it and it feels good to me um and then shooting it if it's you know good on release and everything that's just a bonus to yeah. me yeah now that whole process is just the the thing has to be sit it and forget it kind of deal like i just got to know it's going to be there and perform yeah and that's what i look at going into that whole process yeah i um i'm just not a carbon bow guy like i don't care what brand makes it i just don't like the way carbon bows feel Mm -hmm. in in my hand i'm shooting uh this is the third year i made the decision a couple weeks ago that i'm not going to uh get a new bow this year i'm just going to replace the strings in my current bow and it's a Bowtech uh, a solution, not the SS, yeah. but the yep. Bowtech solution. Dude, I love that bow. It feels, it feels good in my hand. Um, I love it at full draw. And that's where, like you were saying, I think that's the most important is, you know, some people will say, Oh my God, the draw cycle just sucks on certain bows, but I'm not even thinking about that. The old, because when a buck a deer steps out and you know you're going to shoot it or there's a bedded mule deer or an elk coming your way, whatever it is, dude, do you think the draw cycle matters at that point? (laughs) Dude, you're not even thinking about it. You're just like, wham, right? Like I'm, if it didn't have, if it didn't have limb stops or the ability to stop, I'd rip that, the string right off the damn bow every time. Right. And so, uh, I, for me, it's all about what it feels like at full draw. Mm-hmm. And if it feels comfortable and I feel solid, that's the kind of uh, a bow that I uh, that I like. But with that said, that the bow that I'm shooting right now has a really good draw cycle. I felt like in the past certain bows don't have that. Uh, and when for some reason there's a correlation with bad draw cycle and then a ton of hand shock at the end. But again, that's not something that you're thinking about when you release the arrow on a deer it's all about right. full draw and then you let the arrow go hopefully the forming the practice you've done all summer has has paid off you, you, like you got a glove on or it's cold like are you going oh my god that i just shot this deer and the hand shock on this bow was so bad like nobody's thinking about that at that time right so, i will say one thing i did uh so in 2019, I shot a Matthews verdicts, loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, in 20 or 2020, I think is when they came out with the bow, they called the VXR. Mm-hmm. So, and when I, the company I was with, we were partnered by Matthews. So we'd get Matthews bows every year, but 
going from, I'm not a big guy, you know, I'm like 5'10", 185 pounds, not a big guy, 28 inch draw. I like a 31 to a 32 inch draw. That, that VXR, if I remember right, was like a 33 inch draw. Mm -hmm. Every time I would grab it, I just felt like it was like a 35 or 36 inch bow. And I'm like, man, I just, and what they designed. Oh, you mean, you mean ATA, uh, axle to axle. Axle to axle. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. So like, and I think they designed that bow as the riser longer. So it felt, or it, you know, the riser was longer, not the ATA, but the riser was longer. So it, it would hold better at full draw. But man, every time I'd pull that bow back, I felt like I was holding on to an eight foot two by four. Mm-hmm. Like I just felt like it was so big. I ended up getting rid of that bow, mm-hmm. and because I, I I didn't like it. Um, yeah. I found out that I live in that thirty one to thirty two inch ATA is where I need to be. Exactly. And uh, you know when I went with the Prime Rev X, like they have different options. They have a thirty two. They have a I think a thirty four and a thirty six. I knew immediately I was going to like that 32 yep. and that's what I went with. Yep. I shot a 30 inch axle to axle one year and I liked it. Okay. But my accuracy is way better with a 33. Like I, I yeah. feel real confident. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm six one. I got a 30 inch draw length. And so that's, I just felt confident with a longer axle to axle. Um, yeah. I've never owned a Matthews bow. Really? Yep. Never, never have. And, and this is going to sound horrible. I, I've never, they, they, trust me, they make great bows. They make great uh, bows. But I met a guy a long time ago when I was looking for a bow and he was a Matthews fanboy. And he acted like such a douchebag to me about <laughs> all other, like, dude, you got to get a Matthews, blah, blah, you know, just like, uh, he just he made it seem gross and, sim- yeah. and to this day it hasn't rubbed like it hasn't left me the thought of how that guy acted and how arrogant he was 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 just a huge turnoff and i and i think about that every time i go bow shopping yeah <laughs> so, i so, can see that yeah um all right the topic of discussion that is happens a lot is arrow weight and i'll just start off by saying when i decided to up my arrow weight i also saw improvements in my accuracy and i've uh hand shock went away uh, or Mm -hmm. was lessened and so i love and i don't and i'm not talking overboard where i'm shooting uh you know, a 200 grain broadhead, uh, or a, you know, a, a arrow weight that's like 600 something, you know, I'm not like a huge, I'm not a huge FOC guy. I'm more of a total arrow weight guy. And so when I jumped up from like 380 something to, I think I went 380 to like four something, to now, I have a, I shoot a total arrow weight. I think it's 524, 524 grains. I've noticed like that is my that is my comfortable range. That is my confidence range is right there. And I don't I don't feel I feel like with the right head on that. Like if I'm gonna go elk hunting, I'd I'd put a fixed blade or a, yeah fixed blade. White tails and mule deer, I'm gonna shoot a I'm gonna shoot a, a mechanical, but I, that is what I feel comfortable in. 
And so far, there's been nothing done once I moved up to that 524 range. As far as marginal shots and things like that, I'm getting pass-throughs. I'm getting deep penetration. And I, I, I feel very confident in that setup, so I'm going to continue to use it. Yeah, and finding that comfort zone is huge. And, and two years ago, I started playing with different arrow weights. And um, actually, in 2019, I built my first, like, where I built them. I bought components from ethics archery. And I, you know, with the I changed broadheads at that time. And I just ended up being around the 470 grain. Mm-hmm. And I just loved how it shot. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, the arrow craze comes even hotter and it's like oh, i gotta go heavier you know because 470 is the light end of a heavy arrow in my opinion it's yeah. not like even 520 or wherever you're at like i really don't look at that as like a giant arrow you know mm-hmm. when you start getting up to like 600 grains and higher that's when i'm like okay that's a big arrow yeah. you know um so i i like that 470 range well i i messed around with like i got a 593 arrow and then I got like a 520 and then a 470. Man, they all of them shot well, but it was more of a personal preference. When I shot that 590, I was like, I literally don't think I could have shot over 40 yards without the deer hearing it because it's just this stupid arc. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't, I can't deal with that. Yeah. Like I need, I need the happy medium. 520 was a little better, but 470 is my sweet spot. It's a dart. It penetrates like a, like crazy mm-hmm. i shoot a 125 head all single bevel uh you know fixed blade broadhead it is my money spot yeah. 470 to 480 is where i'm gonna live for eternity because i yeah. just i think if i want to go elk hunting i could use the same thing and just be just fine yep yep and it sounds to me like our numbers are very close you add two inches onto or you know onto your arrow when i'm at 30 and you said you're 28 yeah. So we're sitting yep. relatively, I might be 20 or 30 grains heavier at that point. But, you know, I also shoot a, most of the heads that I shoot, I'm trying to think, are, yeah, are 125. So I'm, are I'm not shooting, uh, no, wait, a 100. Excuse me. Yeah, 100, 100 grain yep. head. So, uh, and I trust, I trust that, that head. That's the only product really I've, I've strayed away from one time. And then came back to it and still shoot it today. It's been like 13 mm-hmm. years shooting the same same style heads. Um, let's see here. Arrow weight. Uh, are you a three-fletch or a four-fletch guy? Three-fletch. Uh, Three. It's a question I get a lot. I, I tested around with some four-fletch. I didn't really care for them. Um, maybe I had something set up wrong, but it was just to the point where I'm like, okay, I tested it enough. I don't really feel comfortable with it. I'm going back to three fletch. So yeah. I'll be a three fletch forever. Yeah. And that, whether this is accurate or not, uh, for, I'm a four fletch guy and in wind out West, supposedly four fletch is supposed to perform better. Um, it's also supposed to, uh, stabilize the arrow in flight better because of the drag on the back end. And it may slow the arrow down a little bit, but, I feel like that's giving me more accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so that with, so my, you match that with the, the, I, I shoot a day six arrow. Love that company. Love that, uh, that arrow. And you match that with a four fletch and then a wasp broadhead, man. I feel like 
there's times where I feel like I'm shooting a crowbar down range because it, it's just it just in a good way like, though, yeah right? in a good way like it's just boom it's going mm-hmm. and this past year along with it's the first year I've ever really stopped and paper tuned and and uh did cam timing with uh, a bow technician at Shields in uh, Coralville Iowa we we took one day where we did all that stuff and my bow was money it's the first time i've ever had you ever you ever hear just to hear a well-tuned bow and it's just like and it's the bow just sounds tight and it sounds efficient and so i had that this year and a lot of that has to do i think with not only the the tuning to the arrow but the the arrow setup itself as well and so i had everything really working for me and i believe that that is that's very important that's a great feeling when you have that though, oh, right yeah. like yeah. and it's like you can just pick the bow up i've been shooting a lot just about every day recently and you know i just go down to my hunting room pick my bow up get my arrows get the quiver or whatever and i'm just like i just know i'm gonna go out there and from 20 to 90 because with tack coming and everything yep. i'm like i am dialed like yeah. i can kill anything right there if mm-hmm. i need to like i love that feeling yeah yeah you feel dangerous walking into the you woods do. You, and, you and, do. and I tell you it kind of comes back to that confidence that we talked about man like when you walk into the woods and you go today is a bad day to be a deer th- that makes you just a better hunter right I mean mm-hmm. it, it, you're at the moment of truth you're just like this guy's dead or this and I I haven't reached that comf- that that type of comfortability or a comfort, I guess you would call it until the last maybe five years. It, it took me a long time and gear has a lot to do with it. So, um, what, what heads are you shooting now? What'd you say for a head? I shoot a helix broadhead. So it's, a um, it's just a fixed blade, right bevel, single bevel mm-hmm. head. Uh, they, they've been around for a long time. Um, the FJ two is just, you know, a single one blade, you know, and then let this, this past ATA, they launched, uh, FJ4, which has bleeders, which mm-hmm. I shot those with the the prototypes last fall. I shot two deer with them, man. Yeah, just ridiculous. I think they're even more accurate than with the bleeders than without the bleeders. Yeah, and you get more blood with them, man. I I I have a broadhead. I'm gonna shoot for the rest of my life. Yeah. I really do. Uh, you know, and they do work with the podcast and everything like that. But honestly. I started shooting them because they reached out. I was, I'm good friends with the marketing director. And they, he was like, hey, do you want to shoot some broadheads for this year and try them out for us? Because it was a new thing for them. I'm like, sure. Didn't No partnership or nothing for that first year. And I'm like, okay, I'm on to something here. Like, yeah. let's let's do something. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's the head I shoot. It was in 2000 and what year was it? It would have been 2005 I got my finger cut off. I got money from insurance. And so when I got back to Iowa after moving back there from Alabama, I went to Shields and I bought a brand new Bowtech tribute. I brought bought arrows and the first uh when I when I would call an official first upgrade cuz I was shooting like some hand-me-down bow, uh, some bear or an Oneida. <laughs> I used to shoot an Oneida. Um nice. the first pack of broadheads I ever bought with my own money was in 2000 late 2005 or 2006 was wasp jackhammers 
And so that's a made in America head. And I have killed so many deer with that head, that specific head, more than any other broadhead combined. Uh, and it's just something that the blood trails that I've had, the just the straight damage that it does on marginal shots. And that's really what it, what, what it comes down to, in my opinion, is you take your arrow and you, or your, your um, broadhead and you take my broadhead, you put it through the lungs or the heart, dead animal. The true test of a good broadhead comes when you gut shot it or ham it or, you know, is that broadhead doing a ton of damage on marginal shots? And if it's slowing the deer down or stopping the deer with that marginal shot, that's a good broadhead to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did test that out not not on purpose by right. any means, right. not on purpose. I shot a deer in, in 2021. No, um, yes, 2021, I'm sorry. And I hit him back and I yeah. got shot him. And um, he never... It took me a while to find him, but it, I did find him, and he, you know, it was a, it was a big ordeal, but it, it performed. The broadhead performed. Um, I shot another deer that earlier that year, uh, completely full frontal, mm-hmm. and with my arrow set up like I told you, it's 470 grains with 125 grain head, um, 28 inch draw, only shooting 65 pounds. I shot him right in the chest, you know, right like, and came down, and the arrow had six inches of the arrow when I, when I walked up to him was, was sticking out between his legs and went through the whole cavity, Yeah, you know? And right then and there, I'm like, that's a 200, 240 pound deer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, right then I'm like, this thing is ridiculous. And yeah. that was only the, that was only the single blade. It wasn't like the, you know, the, the bleeders. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, this thing is ridiculous. And that that's what my true Testament came in 2018 for and this this is not necessarily about broadhead, but heavy arrow and and heavy arrow plus fixed blade. I don't know if I would have got the penetration on a mechanical, probably just based off you know physics. No, I wouldn't have. But I I had a boss uh, four blade on. Um, that's my fixed blade of choice, and so I drew back and I hit the deer. It it was in his ham he was hard quartering away it was it was a shot that you you know like i we talked about it last last time i'm pretty aggressive on my shot but it is a shot i probably should have rethought about taking Mm -hmm. my arrow saved me on that though so i was able to shoot the deer go through the ham go through all the guts and go pop the diaphragm i think i hit very low uh opposite side lung and it came out his armpit and so another mechanical with my 2021 buck similar to you i shot right in the chest and it was a mechanical and so i had a huge damage there and i had i see i shoot a 32 inch arrow i believe it believe it is wow yeah i think it's 32 i mean i got a 30 i got a 30 inch draw So I, you know, so it's a 32 inch arrow. And so what is it? 30? Yeah. 32 inches. And I think four inches were sticking out. I got 28 inches of penetration with that mechanical and that arrow set up. And that was another time where I was just like, damn, like, I I know (laughs) I'm, I, I know I'm shooting the right, the right stuff right now. Right. 
Yeah, and that just goes back to the confidence too. Yeah. When you when you see that kind of stuff, it's like, man, you almost feel a little invincible. Like I feel oh, a little yeah. invincible. Like I could, and it's almost almost uh, too too uh, to a fault mm-hmm. because it's like you might start thinking like, ah, oh, I can start pressing the envelope a little bit. I can take just any shot I want. Well, you got to do it within reason too. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be taking shots straight straight up the old hind end or anything like that. But right. um, I mean, do it do it with what you have confidence in but don't overstep thinking that you're uh uh invincible as far as like taking very marginal shots yeah you know yep absolutely another thing that i went and there's no test that i've done it, again it's confidence i went from a cable uh driven rest to now i'm shooting a vapor trail limb driven rest and I think I'm getting way better accuracy with that rest, with a limb-driven drop-away rest than with the, the cable-driven that I was shooting previous. Yeah, I, I used to shoot the Vapor Trail uh, limb-driven. I've, I've still got one on my, my another bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great rest, honestly. It's very easy to tune. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to work. I guess the, if I had any... I mean, it's full capture as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I have any any beef on it and this is not much beef is on like a spot and stalk kind of thing my arrow will still move Move around around quite a bit bit. yeah quite a bit now with my qad um it doesn't move around as much Mm -hmm. but it still does but like i said go back to that like you know i have had on that vapor trail on like a spot and stalk situation have it ding around and hit hit the bottom of my site maybe on my on my qad I haven't had that issue. That's not why I switched. I honestly, the reason why I switched is because I had the vapor trail set up on one bow and I had a QAD on another bow and I'm, I just started using the QAD. They're both really good rests. Yeah. Yeah. I I get 100% what, what you're talking about. I just put my finger over top mm. of the arrow when I'm, yep. when I'm stalking, but I, yep. I, I know exactly what you, what you mean by that. And so when it comes to price, Here's, here's how I approach it. If, if I was in golf, if I was a golfer too, or if I was shit in stamp collecting or, or what, (laughs) whatever the, the extracurricular activity is and, and hunting, then I would have a split budget. Right. And so I would have to be very cautious of what I spend if I'm, if I am personally going all out into different categories and I'm a, you know, Hey, I'm a golfer. And I also like to go to baseball games and I like, I don't do shit. Like I don't want, I shouldn't say I don't do, I don't want to do shit except go hunt. Right. Hmm. We go on vacations and things like that. But, but what I'm getting at here is those day six arrows there, in my opinion, they are the best arrow that is made in the, in the industry that, and that's, that's uh th- they don't sponsor this show at all. They don't do, they don't do any sponsoring. I, I don't think. And they're, ex- they are probably some of the most expensive arrows as well on the market. But I look at that and I go, it's my only thing. Like hunting is my only thing. So I want to have the best equipment for uh, what I can afford right back in the day. If I was, you know, 26 year old version of me, I wouldn't have been able to afford that. It would have been out of my price range, but now I make the money. I make enough money. They last me a couple years 
and I'm, I'm confident in him. And so I'm the type of person who pays more for confidence and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So I look at some of the prices and how people break it down. Like, I don't feel like, I feel like, especially in the hunting industry, that price does reflect quality. I agree. Um, definitely. I agree. I will say talking about the arrow thing. Um, I think one of the, one of the best arrows for like a budget arrow, I would call is a gold tip, like Mm -hmm. XT hunter arrow. You know, I've shot those things forever. Mm -hmm. Um, not that expensive. They work really well. Um, i I don't have any affiliation affiliation with gold tip, but that is like a good budget arrow, but I agree. Like you're going to get what you pay, what you pay for. And honestly, since I started the podcast, like the podcast can fund a lot of my Mm -hmm. like equipment that I need or, or or I'm trying to use. So it's a little easier for me to buy things now uh, than just using like the family money. But I will say like, I'm, I'm, I squeak when I walk, I'm so cheap. And like i'll bitch and bitch and bitch about it like man i i could figure out reasons why i need that but i'll bitch and bitch and bitch about for like three weeks then it's like all right just swipe the card and then i'll buy it you know what i mean and it's like and then it's like why don't you just have the mentality of buy once cry once and that's kind of where i'm getting to is like you can really find find a uh a use for it and really it's gonna help me buy once cry once i'll buy it yeah absolutely um you know, and, and that's why I, I, I feel like the the message when it comes to gear is very simple. Find something that you're comfortable with it with. Find something that is in your budget. I'm me and you were both cry once, buy once type guys. Um outside of that, man, it, it shouldn't be stressful to go be buy hunting equipment and and, right. and figure out what bow you should buy. It should be fun. It's the process yeah. for me is fun. Like I like going and shooting bows and going, Ooh, what's the difference between this one and the other one? What's, you know, all this stuff. And so I, I like, I have fun in, uh, in the process. I enjoy that type of thing. I don't, I try not to stress out. I, however, I did stress out. I was stressing out. Like, do I buy this e-bike or not? What do I do? Do I like, <laughs> should I get this? Okay. e-bike? I... Let me stop you real quick. Yeah. Are you going to, are you going to talk shit on e-bikes? <laughs> No. Okay. Okay. Then I want an e-bike, but I will not spend the money for an e-bike. An e-bike will get me in areas. I can, I can tell you 10 pros that to one time that why I need an e-bike and how it will help me. I will, I refuse to pay the full price for an e-bike. <laughs> I'm going to say something to you right now. And then I'm going to stop talking. Okay. When I went to South Dakota this year, I usually either hike a mile in, set up camp, then hike another mile or mile and a half to a glassing spot and set up. Or I walk a mile in from my truck or however, you know, usually the miles to cut off or maybe a mile and a half somewhere. Then you set up and then you go can go a little bit deeper. Dude, I went in six and a half, almost seven miles with my e-bike in the same amount of time it took me to walk one maybe two miles it is it is worth it but you got the 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 caveat there is you got to make sure that the land that you want 
to hunt on has certain like what the rules and regulations are for e-bikes right first and foremost but the benefit of them especially on my my new farm that i had in iowa deer they okay the access to the main part of the farm is through one gate and when i would walk in there the deer on the ridge would see me when i drove my e-bike in there they just went like this they just looked at me and then they went back to doing what they were doing. And it got me the opportunity to get in without spooking deer. And dude, dude, it, it's worth Okay, it. tell me this though. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Now, this I, is where I'm at with it. Okay. Okay, so an e-bike, let's just say modestly, you're going to be spending like three grand for a bike. Okay. Yes. Now, I get it. It, it has, you know pedal assist and all that stuff and you don't have to pedal as much i understand that i have a really nice pedal bike Mm -hmm. like a mountain bike okay yeah i was gonna go down the road of decking that thing out with everything i need with racks uh you know everything so the only only benefit i don't have is the motor Mm -hmm. okay so i don't mind pedaling my thing is and what i could be doing is like you said, like my, one of my farms, we have to pull in like halfway to the farm and I blow a lot of deer out. Mm-hmm. I'm saying park at the road and bike back. So tell me this, if you had a pedal bike and did the same thing, would they, are you saying because it's an e-bike, they do that? Or would a pedal bike be the same thing? A pedal bike would give you the same, the same result as far as spooking yep. deer is concerned. Yep. Okay. The only issue is I'm not pedaling six miles back. It would actually <laughs> it would actually be harder to ride a bike than to walk that six miles because you're going like yep. this. You're probably having to pick your bike up at times um, to or push it up a hill. When the e bike, I just I I pedal, and then the motor helps me, you know, assist me. The pedal assist, right? Yep. Uh, I have to disconnect the throttle when I'm on public land because then then it becomes a higher class of bike and then it's not a it's considered a motorized vehicle but when you disconnect the the throttle then it becomes a bicycle and so as long as long as you are putting in effort then the motor kicks in you're still putting in the uh uh effort and then under the law it's still considered a pedaled a pedal type I got you. bike so whatever yeah, and I for me, I would go spend two hundred bucks on accessories to deck up my mountain bike. Then, and I could do that ten times to equal that three grand. Right. <laughs> you right. know, so that's where my head was at. Right. Uh, I full disclosure, I also have a really good friend who works at the e bike company that I bought it from, and so I got a fifty percent employee discount. <laughs> so there's that too, right? Yeah. So there's that. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm telling you, it, it's a, it's, I used to be that guy years ago where like, I'd see a, I'd see an advertisement for an e-bike. I'm like, who the hell can afford an e-bike? Yeah. Like the, the 20, yeah. tw- late twenties, early thirties year old version of me. And now the benefits of it are, are huge. So uh, it, the downfall, not cheap, the upfall, everything. So, mm-hmm. um, I just have to make sure I don't get too fat so that I can, <laughs> I don't break the weight limit on it, things like that. So, uh, 
Um, other than that, any other tips, tricks, tactics, thoughts about gear? No, I, I'm, I'm just going to reiterate just, you know, the confidence. Find yeah. stuff that you have confidence in. And then, for instance, like I have a release I've been shooting for 13 years. Yeah. And everybody else is shooting these nice thumb buttons and back tensions. Mm-hmm. Mine literally is a true fire, uh, like hardcore buckle fullback. Yep. And the thing is dependable. Yep. Like it's it, stuff like that. It's not sexy by any means. Mm-hmm. You, you you walk up to a line, you're shooting next to guys at a 3D course. They're going to look at you like, why aren't you shooting the aluminum UV, like shoot it itself release? Well, because I don't need to spend $800 yeah. <laughs> release and this one works fine. Yeah. So use find out what is, you know, best for your confidence get stuff that simplifies it for you and mm-hmm. uh, have fun absolutely absolutely all right my man well appreciate uh, another talk here on the fall sessions man i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this and uh i guess we'll talk to you next time sounds good dan